0: It's honestly a privilege to be here. And as you can see, I brought props and an illustration. And so I'm going to be using this later on. But nevertheless, it really is an honor to be here. And so thank you to Shay, thank you to all of you for allowing me to be a part of the Sunday experience. It truly is amazing. And I've only actually lived in Michigan now for 10 months. And so it's only been a short period of time. But during those 10 months, I've heard so much about you all, about Grumlaw, and the impact that you all are having in this community. And so thank you so much. It's actually the first time that I've ever been to Grand Blanc. And yesterday, actually, I was, we had some uh, friends over, and I asked them, how do you actually pronounce it? And I was thinking, and I'm from Canada, and so I was thinking, is it Grand Blanc? And they looked at me thinking, you, you don't know anything. And they had these blank looks on their faces, thinking, no, it's Grand Blanc. Right? You can, you can use the English pronunciation for that. But as I mentioned, I've only been, my family and I have only been in Michigan for 10 months, and which basically tells you that I didn't grow up here, but I grew up in what I consider to be the most beautiful city in the entire world. Any guesses, any thoughts on what that city might be? Vancouver? Exactly. How many of you guys have been to Vancouver? Just by a quick show of hands. That is is where I grew up. And so, I consider it to be the most beautiful city in the world, and not Vancouver, Washington. That is the fake Vancouver, right? <laughs> I'm talking about Vancouver, Canada. And it truly is, it's probably, I've been to a lot of different places around the world, and still, when I go back there, the mountains and the water and the, uh, the entire scenery just blows me away. But I grew up there, and then I went to college in Vancouver, and then afterwards I went to uh, work for a humanitarian organization for a number of years called Mercy Ships, and that's where I met my wife, Robin. And Robin and I, we have bounced around all over the place. We moved so much. We started out in Texas, and then we went overseas and lived in various countries in West Africa, and then we went to Boston, Minneapolis. We've lived outside of New York City. And prior to moving to Michigan, we were in the Philadelphia area. And so I hope to never, ever move again, and I hope to call Michigan in our home for a very, very long time. But we moved to Michigan at probably the worst time you could ever move to Michigan. We moved to Michigan on January 3rd. Aww. And I remember that day, our door was wide open and the movers were going in and out, bringing all of our stuff in. And I remember looking out and it was snowing and three degrees outside. And literally I was looking at Robin thinking, and we were both thinking the same thing. We were both thinking, why did we move here again? <laughs> But we did, and honestly, the 10 months that we've been here have been amazing. And probably the best part, not probably, the best part of living in Michigan has been something that happened this past June, and that's when we welcomed child number three to our family, our baby Mia. And this is actually a picture of our family. And I don't know how your family is, but somehow every single day we find ourselves wearing matching clothes, standing in fields, and smiling together. That's just our family, right? This just happens every single day. But honestly, this is our first, sort of first first, ever sort of family photo shoot for our Christmas card because my wife was like, we can't take it with an iPhone anymore. We just got to pay the money. And so we did, and it was probably one of the more awkward experiences that we've ever had, but our photographer was amazing, and she made us look pretty good. But like I said, we've only been here for 10 months, and uh, for the first eight months, the reason why we moved here was for my job at Kensington, and for the first eight months that I worked at Kensington, I was working so much. I was working crazy hours, because I was trying to learn a new culture, a new system. I was trying to get to know the people, not only in our community, but also on staff, and of course, because I'm the new guy, I still am one of the new guys, I was trying to make a good impression, and so I was putting in a lot more time, a lot more effort into things than I normally would, and during those eight months, my wife, Robin, said to me over and over again, your family misses you. You're almost never around. And even when you are, you're not not actually present with us. And every single time she would say that to me, I remember I would say over and over again, can you just please cut me some slack? Can you just please be patient? Because right now it's just crazy at work. I promise you. You know what? Next month month is going to be different. Next month, things will slow down. But guess what? They never, ever did and one month turned into two months, turned into three months, turned into four months, and that eventually turned into eight months. And this past August, I finally decided to break away and I decided to take a vacation. And so I took a two, we took a two week vacation and we decided to drive out to Minnesota because that's where my wife is from and to visit her parents. And I love where my in-laws live because they live right on a lake in Northwestern Minnesota. And this place is a special place. Because when you step onto their property, it's sort of like you automatically slow down. You have to relax. It's almost impossible to do any work on their property. And trust me, I have tried. And it's almost impossible. And so that's exactly what we did. We slowed down. And for those two weeks, we slowed down enough to laugh, to play, to eat, to relax, to sleep, and just simply to be together. And that's what we did for two weeks. And let me tell you that on that vacation, I had so much fun, especially with my kids. And during those two weeks, I also had this major paradigm shift. Because if I'm going to be honest with you, for the, not just for the past eight months, but really for the past couple of years, when I've looked at my kids, I've seen them as just one more thing I have to do. Another bath I have to give, another meal I have to make, another load of laundry that I have to get done. And on that vacation, I began looking at them, not as a have to, but as a get to. And I had this major shift in my thinking. And I also came to realize that how little I had been around for the past eight months and how messed up my priorities had been. And I had this sort of awakening during that time. And honestly, if you were to ask me a couple of months ago, if you were to ask me in regards to my family, What are your, or just in regards to my life, what are your priorities? Name your top three priorities. I probably would have told you, you know what the most important thing is in my life? It's God. He is at the center of my life. And when I think about my priorities, I like thinking about them rather than as a list. I like thinking about them in terms of concentric circles. Because what is the most important thing in my life and in your lives lives, will basically radiate out and inform and influence everything else. And so rather than a list, I like to think of them sort of in circles like this. And so if you were to ask me, hey, three months ago, Andrew, what's the most important thing in your life? I would have told you, number one, absolutely God, followed by family, and then followed by work. And maybe a lot of you would say the same thing. But if you saw the way that I was living, you would have known that that was a total and utter lie, and that my priorities were actually the opposite. And what was most important to me in my life was actually work followed way behind by family, and followed even further behind by God. Because I was barely spending any time in prayer. I would be reading the Bible, but not too much time focusing on that relationship. And that's what I would have said that my priorities were. And our priorities are so incredibly important. And you know that, and I know that. And in Stephen Covey's best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he actually cites an essay that was written by a man named E.M. Gray. And what Gray spent a huge chunk of his life doing was that he spent his life, a huge portion of his life, trying to figure out the common denominator that's shared by all successful people. And he ultimately found that what they share isn't the fact that they work really hard, or they have great relationships, or even that they have incredible luck but he found that what all of these successful people share is that they put first things first. Their priorities were in order. Which, to me, just absolutely blew my mind. And the reason why our priorities are so important is that for every single one of us here in this room, we have a finite amount of energy, time, and other resources. And how we choose to use these resources on a daily basis, which is based on our priorities, will determine the trajectory of our lives. It'll determine who we become and the type of influence that we are able to have on the people around us. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at a passage that tells us that for the people of God, their priorities were really messed up. The way that they were using their resources, their time, their energy, their money, and so many other things was completely backwards. It's completely not the way that God wanted them to use them. And so what God did was that he sent a prophet to them. And what a prophet is is a prophet very simply is somebody who communicates God's message to his people. And this prophet's name was Haggai, and God sent Haggai to them in hopes that they would reorder their priorities and start living in a way that was very different from the way that they were living. And Haggai, who he is, and I think he was on the it said it on the video, but Haggai lived way back in the 6th century BC. And what was happening in the nation of Israel at this time way back then was that God had told his people over and over and over again. So we're not talking about a couple months or even a couple of years, but we're talking about decades. We're talking about centuries where God had been pleading with his people. Hey, guys, you guys got to reorder your priorities because you're living like a messed up life. You got to stop putting yourselves, your own needs, your own comfort at the center of your life. And you need to start putting me in that number one spot. And so this is what God said to them over and over again, but they just refused to listen. So God understood, I think you guys need a wake-up call. And that wake-up call came in the form of these people called the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were the world power at the time. And what ultimately happened was, was that the Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem. And they conquered Jerusalem in 587. BC, completely destroyed the city, destroyed people's homes, destroyed the temple, and they hauled all of these Jews off 900 miles to Babylon. But then almost 50 years later, something else happened, because in 539 BC, the Babylonians themselves got conquered by the Persians, and the Persian king at the time was a guy by the name of Cyrus, and he saw all of these Jews living in his land, and he told them, hey guys, if you guys just want to go back home to Jerusalem, feel free. And so 50,000 of them took him up on his offer, and they left, and they went back to Jerusalem. But you know what? The vast majority actually chose to stay in Babylon. And the reason why they did was, you got to understand, they had been there for almost five decades. A lot of them had been married there. A lot of them had children there. A lot of them had raised their families there. This is what they knew. And so they chose to stay. And not to mention, Jerusalem was in total ruins, because like I said, it got completely decimated by the Babylonians. But still, 50,000 people decided to go back. And But these 50,000, they had a lot of work on their hands. They had to rebuild their homes. They had to rebuild the city walls because at that time, the city walls were the primary line of defense for the people living in the city. And they also had to rebuild the temple of God. And the temple of God was so important because that was where the presence of God lived among his people. And so in 536 BC, they started rebuilding the temple But what happened was they hit a major speed bump in that a people group that was living around them called the Samaritans. And the Jews and the Samaritans, if you look at the scriptures, they've always done this, always had this tense relationship. And all you have to do to see a glimpse of that is that story in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the Samaritan man, this was happening, right? And you see that in that story. And so the Samaritans didn't want the Jews to rebuild their temple. And so they would threaten the workers. They even sent lobbyists to Persia. So lobbyists have been around for centuries now, (laughs) right? And so, and millenniums now, really. And so they sent lobbyists to Persia to say, hey, you know what? You need to stop these people from doing this. And you know what? The Samaritans were successful. And they struck fear into the heart of these Jews. And these guys gave up. And they said, you know what? Not worth it. And then for 15 years after that, nothing happened. No one picked up a hammer. No one picked up a chisel. Nothing was built. And these Jews just started going on with their lives. And you know this, and I know this. Right? We get distracted. We stop doing things, even house projects, and we get busy doing other things. We never come back to it. Same thing happened here. Right? So 15 years, nothing was done, and they got wrapped up doing all this other stuff. And so what God did, seeing this situation, he sent his prophet, Haggai, to deal with this and to communicate a message in hopes that this building project would get restarted. And so this is what it starts off by saying, looking at our passage today, this is how it starts off, the book of Haggai, which is a book in the Old Testament. And it says that in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, and I love, I absolutely love that the scriptures include details like this, because what this tells us was that the event that we're going to be talking about today, wasn't a fairy tale. It's not made up, but it actually happened during the course of human history. And based on these details, we know that this event happened on August 29th, 520 BC. That's how specific we can get. Not just simply from what the scriptures tell us, but from other historical sources as well. August 29th, 520 BC. And this is the message that God communicated to his people. And he starts out by saying, these people say, these people say, and the reason why that's important is that those first two words, these people, are important. Because when you look at the Old Testament, and when you, even when you look at the scriptures, how God usually refers to his people is that he refers to them as my people. But that's not what he says here. He says these people. And when God was saying these, my people, all throughout the scriptures, is a term of endearment. He's saying, you know what, these people over there, they belong to me. They're with me. But something really bad had happened And so that's why he's saying, you know what? Not my people, these people. And I remember a couple of years ago, and for those of you who have children, or maybe for those of you who don't have children, maybe you've had had your parents do this to you. But I remember a couple of years ago, I came home, and my wife, Robin, I could tell she was so exasperated and so frustrated. And you have to understand that Robin is probably the most patient person I have ever met in my life, maybe because she's married to me and I've been able to develop this virtue in her. Who knows? <laughs> right? I don't know, right? But she is so incredibly patient. I never see her like this. And so I came home, and I saw that she was clearly frustrated. So I went over to her, and I asked her, what's wrong? What happened? And she looks me straight in the eye, and she says to me, do you know what your daughter did today. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know what the first thing that went through my mind was? I was thinking, you understand that she's our daughter, that it actually takes two to actually produce a child. But you know what? I had been married long enough to know, probably not the best time to, put, to point that out. And so she says, do you know what your daughter did? And she had done something so terrible that it had frustrated my wife so much. She was just totally fed up. So she basically dissociated herself from her. And she said, she's not my daughter anymore. She's your daughter when she makes mistakes. Same thing was happening right here. That God had it up to here with his people. So he's saying, not my people anymore. These people. And then he continues on by saying, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Remember, 15 years had gone by. Nothing is happening. And they're still saying, Oh, you know what? Not time yet. Maybe we'll pick it up next year, maybe the year after that. Maybe we might be able to squeeze it in. Not a good time. And this was the reason why God was really angry. It wasn't because of this terrible excuse, but it was sort of wrapped up in it. Because instead of building God's house, this was what they were doing. And it says this. God's saying to them, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So let me tell you what they were doing. Rather than building God's house, rather than building the temple, they were building their own houses. And what we have to understand is that God's not anti-house. Is that He didn't want them to be homeless and just living out on the street in the cold while they were building his temple. That wasn't it at all. But the reason why God was so upset is contained in one word in this verse. And if when a Jew back then, when they read this word, they would have known, uh-oh, you guys made a huge mistake. That's probably what they would have thought. And that word is paneled. Because what they had done to their homes was that they had paneled the inside of their homes, covered the ceilings and the walls with cedar wood. And just by a quick show of hands, how many of you been to Israel before in this room? Okay, a few of you have. And if you've ever been to Israel in that part of the world, there aren't a whole lot of trees there. They're not, they don't grow these huge evergreen trees there which basically means that there's not a lot of wood to build with. And so still to this day, their primary building material is stone. And back then, if you wanted to do this to your house, if you wanted to panel your house with wood, you would have to travel all the way up north to a place called Lebanon or to a place called Phoenicia. You would have to buy all of this wood, have it made into these panels, then you had to ship it all the way home to Jerusalem and have someone install it. So it took a lot of time, it took a lot of energy, it took a lot of money. Only rich people did this. And so you got to understand that God's looking at his people thinking, this is what you guys are doing? You guys are, you guys are like making your houses look all amazing, all luxurious, all comfortable. You guys could be on the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. But look at my house, completely messed up, still in ruins. And so what God says to them is that he's basically looking at them thinking, Your priorities are completely messed up, guys, because what's most important in your life, what's priority number one in your life, God's looking at them thinking, it's you. It's your comfort. It's your own luxury. And the reality is, is that we all have priorities. You have priorities. I have priorities in my life. And then these people in this story had priorities as well. And sometimes what's so often easy to do, it's easy so often, especially for me, maybe for you as well, it's really easy for me to look at somebody else's life and to see what their priorities are, especially if they're messed up. But it's really hard for me to look, to see, actually see what my priorities are. That's a lot harder. And that might be the case for you. And so let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. This is the question that I wanna to ask today in just a few different ways. When you look at your life, what are your priorities? What's at the center of your life? What is priority number one for you? What is the most valuable thing in your life that informs everything else, that influences everything else? What's right at that center? And then what's in the second circle? What's in the third circle? And let me say to you, right off the bat, it may not be what you think it is. Because like I said, you know what, a couple months ago, if you were to ask me what are my priorities, I would have said, you know what, it's right in the middle, it's God, then family, and then work. But as I told you, that was a total lie because my priorities were the total opposite. And so what are your priorities? What's at the center? And if you want to know, if you're sort of fuzzy on, I don't know what my priorities are and you're wrestling a little bit. If you want to know what your priorities are, all you have to do, for so many of us, all we have to do is look at our schedules and look at our bank account. Because for so many of us, our time and our money are two of the most valuable resources that we have. And how we use them is based on our priorities. And so even this past week, just think about what you did this past week with your time and your money. Who did you spend those things on? What did you spend those things doing? Where did you spend those things? And immediately, all you have to do is just look at your calendar, scroll down in your bank account, and you will see what your priorities are what the most important thing in your life is, the second, the third, the list goes on. So when you think about that, what are the priorities in your life? And so going back to the story of Haggai, for the people of God, their priorities were completely messed up. Completely, completely messed up. And so this is what God says to them. So God says to them, let's just take a time out right now, guys because let's take a time out from where you are and let's just evaluate where you are and how life's been going for you since you decided to take me out of the center and put yourselves in the center. And this is what God said to his people. He said, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you know what? You're always thirsty. You never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Ever have a day, ever have a week where things didn't go according to plan? Any of you have that week, this week, where things just did not go according to plan? Some of you did, right? And maybe some of you had that morning today. Maybe you were thinking yesterday, you were thinking, oh, you know what, I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to get all of these things done. But that didn't happen. You slept right through your alarm, right? And somehow you got, managed to get to church on time. Or maybe some of you didn't, right? But you managed to get here. And maybe for others of you, you have young children, if you have young children, you know everything gets blown up. Right? Maybe yesterday you were thinking, for the first time in months, I'm going to get to church on time. And so you laid out your kids' clothes. You were thinking, this is what we're going to eat. This is the time that we're going to leave, and we're going to get there on time. And this morning you woke up, and one of your kids was like, I'm not wearing those pants. Right? I don't want to go to church. That's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to eat that. And everything got blown up. And that's how last Sunday was for my family. Because on Sundays, my wife never calls me. She has never called me on a Sunday. I can't even remember the last time she called me. Because she understands that I'm probably either teaching in a meeting or talking to someone. So she just is like, you know what, I'll just deal with it. But last Sunday, she called me. And so when I saw her number come up on my phone, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, something must be wrong. And so I pick it up, and she was out in the parking lot, our church parking lot, crying. And she said, can you please come and get your son. It was one of those your son moments, (laughs) right? And so I went out and I got my son and we did that. But it was a terrible morning for her because she had all of these plans and thinking, you know what, maybe we'll get to church on time for the first time in a long time. And that totally got blown up. Ever have one of those days, ever had one of those weeks. And for the Israelites, they weren't experiencing this just for a day or for a week. It had been years that life had been going this way for them because they had planted food in the ground and when you plant, or seeds in the ground, when you plant seeds in the ground, you water it, you fertilize it, you expect something to grow, right? But that didn't turn out, right? Their crops were so minimal. They would drink, they would eat all of this food thinking, hey, you know what? I'm gonna get full, never happened. They would drink all this water or wine and think, you know what? I'm finally gonna be satisfied, did not happen. Life was not going according to plan. And so what God says to them is that, you know why your life is like this? He says to them, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house. You guys aren't doing anything, right? Which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. And he keeps going saying, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due. And the earth, its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. And so, you know why they were experiencing this? You know why life was not going according to plan? God says it very plainly. He says, You know what? It's because of me, because I have been causing this to happen. And you might be thinking, you know what, would God really do that? Because isn't God supposed to be kind and gracious and merciful and forgiving and loving and all of that kind of good stuff? And of course, he is. But at the same time, what God says here is, I am behind this. And the reason why God was behind this is that, as I mentioned, as we've been talking about, for the people of God, their priorities were completely messed up. And because their priorities were messed up, they were making bad decisions. And the decisions that they were making were moving them away from God. And so what God did was that he allowed them to experience these difficulties, this hardship, this pain in their life. because Not because He wanted he's vindictive and he wanted to get back at them, but rather because he loved them so deeply and he wanted them to turn their life around. And so he allowed this punish, this, these difficulties in the form of these Babylonians and in the form of all of this, these crops not producing, not getting enough water, he allowed them to experience this in hopes that they would stop walking away from him, stop, turn 180 degrees, reorder their priorities, and start moving towards him. And what this is called is repentance. It's one of the reasons why God allows us to experience at times pain and difficulties in our lives. But at the same time, something that's really important for me to clarify is that when we experience pain and suffering in our lives, it doesn't mean that God's always the one behind it. There are other reasons why we do. Sometimes we may experience these things in our lives because somebody else made a really bad decision and we're experiencing the consequences of it. And probably maybe your lives have been touched by this. I know my life has been touched by this. Because I remember a number of years ago, somebody made a really bad decision, and they got drunk, they had way too much to drink. And rather than calling an Uber, rather than calling a cab, rather than calling a family member or friend to come pick them up, they decided, you know what, I think I'm okay to drive. And they got into an accident, and someone that was really close to me passed away. It's a consequence of a really, really bad decision, and sometimes that is why we experience these things in our lives. Other times, the reason why we experience pain and difficulty in our life is we live in a broken and in a fallen world where our bodies don't always work the way that they're supposed to, especially as you go grow older. Your body starts breaking down, and we also have diseases in our world that can debilitate and even kill us. And there are a number of people in our community that I know of who are battling cancer right now. My dad, when I was four, he died of stomach cancer. It completely changed my life. And it's because we live in a broken and fallen world. So when we experience difficulties and pain and suffering, it's not always because God's behind it. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. A lot of times it's not. But for the Jews, what they were experiencing right now was because of their poor decisions, was the consequences of these poor decisions. And so God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to allow this to happen. I'm going to allow this for you to experience this in hopes that you would do a 180, And that you would come back to me. Because that is the best place that you can be. And so this is what God says. He doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just leave them in the spot and say, hey, sorry guys, you guys are stuck. But rather he gives them a way to actually return to him. And this is what he says. He says to them, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And so what God was saying is, you know that place up north that you guys went to get all that wood to panel your house? I want you to go back there, get that same wood, bring it back. But this time, don't build your own house. But rather, I want you to build mine. And so you know what the extraordinary thing is? Is that these people actually listened to God. Because if you look at the Old Testament, God sent prophet after prophet to people to his people, and so often their messages go just in one ear and out the other. And other times they would get so angry at these prophets they would just run them out of town, sometimes they would beat them, sometimes they would even try to kill them. But to these people's credit, what they did was that they listened, they said yes. And 23 days after Haggai communicated this message to them, they started rebuilding the temple again. And four years later, they finished. And what we see in this passage is that when our top priority in our lives is ourselves, it's our own comfort, our own happiness, it's our own success, we're only able to live a shadow of the life that God has created us to live. Because true joy, true happiness, true love and life can only be experienced in our lives when we're connected to the author and giver of life. And Jesus says something very similar in the Gospel of Matthew. Because he tells us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to follow me, if you want to experience not just any life, but a life that is more extraordinary than you could ever understand or imagine, what that means is is that you have to lay aside your own desires, your own dreams, your own plans. You have to lay that aside and you have to pick up mine. And that has to be at the very center of your life. That has to be priority number one. And then he continues on by saying, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And when you think about this, this is such a countercultural statement. Very, very different than the way that we think. And what Jesus is saying here is, is that the reason why I came to this earth 2,000 years ago, the reason why I stepped into human history was tried, tortured, and killed for your sins. It wasn't so that you could live the rest of your life for yourself with you at the very center, but rather the reason why I came was that so that you could have not just any life, but life to the full. That you could live a life that is so beautiful, so extraordinary, so filled with hope and joy. That is why I came. But in order for that to happen, Jesus says, I have to be number one. I have to be your number one priority. It's the good news. It's why he came. And actually yesterday, there was this, we have a Saturday evening service, and we had a guest come in who's a great friend of our community from Utah. And this guy came in with a friend of his. And his friend came up and actually shared his story. And what he had to share, I thought, was such a powerful picture of the gospel. And so this guy comes up, and he's a big guy. He's like 6'4", 220 pounds. He's just like chiseled features. And I'm thinking, this guy's either a model or an NFL player. And he was the latter, right? So he had played in the NFL for five years as a defensive back, and he's a mountain of a man. And so he gets up there, and he says, hey, you know what? When I first came to this church, and this church was out in Utah, my priorities were completely messed up. Because what was at the center of my life was just me. And he said, as a result, I made terrible decisions. And one of the terrible decisions that he made was that he had an affair. And so he had this affair. This affair had been going on for years. But then he came to this church with his family, and he discovered who Jesus is once again. And after a couple of years of going to this church, he just felt like, you know what, I have to come clean. To my wife. I cannot keep just hiding this from her. And she knew a little bit about what was going on because she understood that there was something different about her husband. And so one day he came clean to her and they were both sitting down in their house and he just broke down and told her everything. And he thought, my wife is going to hate me. She is going to scream, she is going to yell, and she's just going to leave me. But what she chose to do was she actually embraced him and they listened to a song together about the love, the forgiveness, the grace of God. And so this is what their interaction was like. But what was so powerful to me was that his wife eventually told, uh, his wife actually told her parents. And the first time he saw them was at a restaurant after she had told them. And he was thinking, they are going to hate me. Because how would you respond if someone cheated on your daughter? and hurt your grandkids like that. And he was bracing for impact. And so he, when he saw them, they got to the restaurant early, and then he saw his in-laws walk in. And so he got up, and he just had his head down, just thinking, this is going to be probably the worst few moments of my life. And he said that when his mother-in-law saw him, she didn't just walk over, she ran over to him and gave him this huge hug and wouldn't stop hugging him. And when I heard that, even everything, even though he had done these terrible things to the people that she loved more than anything, that was her response. And I was thinking, sitting there, listening to his story, thinking, there's no way that I think I could do that to someone who hurt me, let alone someone who hurt my daughter that deeply. And it just communicated to me, you know what, this is the perfect picture of what the gospel is. It's a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us. Because what the scriptures tell us is that when we were Jesus' enemies, when we hurt him so deeply, what he did was that he didn't come to us and say, you're an embarrassment to our family. You, have, you brought such shame and guilt and disappointment to us. That's not what he said. But what he did was that when we hurt him so deeply, he came. And when we were in need of a savior, he didn't just leave us hanging, but he entered into human history and he came To us, And what he extended to us was forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love. A love, a grace, a mercy, a forgiveness the world has never seen. And I thought this picture of this mother-in-law embracing her son-in-law, even though he had done these terrible things, was such a perfect picture of the gospel. And Jesus tells us in this verse that we just read, you know why the reason why I came to this earth, you know the reason why I did these things, for you wasn't so that you could keep living with you as priority number one, but I came so that I could be at the center, not because he's this narcissistic God, but rather because he understands that when he is at the center of our lives, truly extraordinary things are able to happen because we are able to live the life that we have always been created to live. So that is why he says, for your benefit and also for the benefit of everyone else, this is why I need and I want to be priority number one in our, your life. But at the same time, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, as you look at your priorities, you're thinking, you know what, God isn't number, priority number one in my life. But when I look at my life, I don't know where I'm supposed to fit God in. I still have all of these obligations. I got school, I got family, I got friends, I got sports, I got all of this stuff. My schedule is jammed. And I want God to be priority number one, but how do I do that? And I was in that exact same place a few months ago. And when I was, I was reminded of an illustration that I had seen a number of years ago. And this is a glass jar. And all of us know, and all and think about this glass jar as your life. And I have five big rocks up here. And just by just actually, let me just actually say: how many rocks do you think that I could fit in this glass jar? How many of you think that I could fit three in here? Just by a quick show of hands. How many of you think I could fit four in here? Anyone? Any of you think I could fit five in here? Okay, a few of you have faith. Okay, so I'm gonna put these big rocks in, right? One, two, three. Basically, I can fit four. So all of you who said four, congratulations. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that this jar is full? Yell out. Yes, no? No. No, okay. You guys are smart, right? Of course not. And probably because these other stones probably tipped you off too, right? And so it's not full. And so if I pour some of these stones in, right? And sort of just jam that one in, right? How many of you guys think it's full now? No, it's not, right? So you guys are getting it, right? And so now I'm going to put the sand in, and hopefully I won't spill and make a huge mess. But if I put all of this sand in, probably not gonna be able to fit it all in, but that's okay, right? And so, how many of you think it's full now? Anyone? No, okay, getting close, right? Because now I have one more thing, I got water. And so if I fill this up, maybe I'll put a little more sand in here to really make the illustration better because you know what, I ran out of water. And that's okay okay well you get the point right okay this is the only time i'm doing it this morning right so coming some slack here how many of you think this is full now yes it's full right so what do you think the purpose of this illustration is if this is your life if if the jar is your life and the rocks are our priorities the sand and the waters are priorities what do you think the purpose and the main message of this illustration is and just yell it out be bold make more room right make more room it could be something like i remember somebody said hey you know what if you try hard enough you can fit more stuff in your life you can always fit more stuff in your life but that is not the point of the illustration the point of the illustration is is that if you don't start with the big rocks in your life if you don't start by putting them in first there is no way that you're going to be able to fit them in There's just no way right because every single day for every single one of you Regardless of how old you are, whether you have kids or not, whether you're at school or not, whether you have a job or not, every single day, for all of us here, there are so many things vying for our attention and our time. And unless we start with the big rocks in our life, unless we start putting them and scheduling them in our life first, there's no chance that we're going to be able to fit these in. And so let me ask you a question in a different way. We've been asking, what are your priorities? Let me ask you in a different way, what are the big rocks in your life? What are they? Is it God? Is it family? Is it work? Is it school? And what is the biggest rock in your life? And the whole idea is, is that if we don't schedule and if we don't put this into our life first, there's no chance that we're going to fit them in. And probably for, every single, for most of us here, if you're anything like me, our schedules basically dictate how we live our lives. My schedule, all I do is I look at it and I say, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be next for this amount of time, talking to these people, doing this. And so our schedule dictates what we do, where we go, how we spend our time. And that's probably true for so many of you here. And so if that's you, what that means is is that you want God to be the top priority in your life. You want him to be the biggest rock in your life. What it requires us to do is that before we schedule anything else, before we schedule that work meeting, before we schedule that time at the gym, before we schedule time even with our family, before we even schedule, if you even do this, time to sleep, that we say, God, I want you to be priority number one in my life. I want you to be the most important thing in my life. And I understand that if I don't do this, that you probably won't. And that we put this rock in first. Understanding that when we that we will begin and we will step in to the life that God has always created and always desired and always dreamed for us to live, a life that is filled with greater hope, joy, love, and life.